tonight we have Michael Stowe. Michael. Uh, All right. He's going to speak about spec driven development, RAML, and API documentation. Yes, Michael, sir. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. You say that now. <laughs> no, I'm seriously thinking you guys are very, very brave to be here tonight uh, to put up with this speech. Uh, the good news is that I have to close by 10 o'clock, so I will be done by 11 for sure. <laughs> Uh, this is the Spectrum Development, Ramble, and Documentation talk. Hopefully you're in the right place. Quick thing about me. Uh, the reason I do this talk is because I'm an API fanatic. And you guys saved my lives because I'm a developer, I'm an engineer, and I have to use APIs. And that usually means banging my head against the table because half the docs aren't that great. I know the people here write amazing technical content, so thank you for that. Can you make my life easy? Uh, open source contributor, uh, again, 10 years writing code. And this is my one and only plug for MuleSoft. I'm the developer relations manager there. Of course, we're always hiring, so if wants a job, feel free. But more importantly, I've had the amazing privilege to be on three different sides of the API spectrum, from creating APIs in the code to writing documentation myself, which if you've read my, or read my documentation is not very good, uh, to having to do support, which I absolutely love as well. How many people have had to do the support side of things? OK, you know what I'm talking about. So before we get started, let me just ask you very quickly, what are your current pain points if with uh, building APIs or documenting APIs or having to support APIs? Like what are the things you guys run into that just that drive you nuts? Interactive presentations. <laughs> oh. Honestly, not getting into fights with people when I'm documenting an API. OK, not getting into fights, like how so? Um, Okay, understood. They don't have time to help out with it or look at it. I think that's a very common problem, actually. <laughs> Anything else? There's a ton of inconsistencies in, yeah. in the parameters and the values and other things, and you have to kind of live with it just because that's the way it was coded. So the API is inconsistent, or things change and they forget to mention that things change? So my big three that I ran into was, first of all, APIs are not designed for the users, which means they're not intuitive, they're not easy to use, and they don't make sense for the users. Uh, doc teams get left out of the loop. Like I said, things change. You don't realize they change. Uh, when I worked at one job, my job was to do documentation, also provide support, and things would change. And I was the last person to find out, which is great when you're on the phone going, it should work. And I always love getting code and saying, hey, you have to debug by code to figure out what's wrong with your API, and I have no idea what their code actually does. The real problem is APIs aren't designed. That's the first problem. APIs are not designed. The second problem is there is a loop. It's not just being left out of the loop. It's the fact that we have to go around in a circle every single time to bring your way up to speed. And the last problem for support is that they have to look at other people's code to figure out what's wrong with their own API. But what if we could simplify the process, make it more efficient for everybody, and just because I feel like Billy Mays on a commercial, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Do even more with even less. Who sold? Yeah, DJ's like, yeah, I love that. OK. <laughs> so the thing I want to talk about tonight is something called spec-driven development. And with spec-driven development, we're going to focus on a spec called RAML. Now, what spec-driven development is, is it takes things to a different level. Instead of just saying we're going to create an API and then create documentation, then create SDKs and do this in a very siloed approach, it says, let's bring everything together. Let's bring the whole process together. And the way it works 
is the first thing you do is you actually define or design your API before you write a single line of code. Once you do that, you're also using design patterns and code reuse. We're talking about things like inconsistency. You know, parameters not matching. Maybe you use camel case over here and underscores over here. All of a sudden, we have a consistent API, and it's designed for our users. We can mock that API and get user feedback. So it's not just saying, we're going to create this API, hope it's good, hope it's consistent, put in production, and then find out what's wrong. We can actually find out what users think about it, what's inconsistent, or what they need from that API before we write a single line of code. We can make the necessary changes. One of the biggest challenges we have with building APIs is we write the code, we put it out there, we say we need to make a change. That means I have to go back, change the code, recreate the services, modify the endpoints, things start getting inconsistent because this is done at the last hour every single time before production, which means there's more bugs. It doesn't work very well. Here, there's no code to change. Now we can start coding. Now we can start coding the spec. And the great thing about this is we know the spec is good. We know it meets our users' needs. We know the design is solid. We know it's going to be long-lasted. And we know there's no design flaws. And the key thing with uh, Spectrum development is the spec is the source of truth. Uh, it's the source of truth for your code, but it's also be a source of truth for many, many other things. So what really becomes is a hybrid. How many people have heard of contract by design? So contract by design says, we're going to create a contract, and then we'll design that contract. And people say, that's great, but isn't that kind of like waterfall to a certain degree? And we look at what waterfall said was we're going to write all of our specs, all of our documentation, say what it's going to be, and we're going to write all this code, and then we'll test it, and hopefully it meets our users' needs. So we're saying, let's take a step back, because Agile is this great thing, but it doesn't always work well with APIs. Because if you're agilely designing your API, your API is changing every two weeks, you end up with like Facebook. Which, if you're the company, is a great thing. If you're using the Facebook API, not so much. Um, I'm going to get myself in trouble with that, but if you ask any developer about the Facebook API, they'll tell you. So what we're doing is instead we're split up into two Agile phases. We're saying, first of all, we're going to do Agile user experience. We're going to involve our users from day one, get them involved, and design the API. Now, because we're designing it with this uh, Spectrum uh, aspect and with a tool like RAML, we can actually make it look like our real API. So it's almost as if we wrote the code itself without writing a single line of code. Once we've defined the spec and designed the spec and tested the spec so we know it's good, then we go into our agile coding phase. Uh, the big thing with this is if you get the coding phase and you start coding, you say, hey, something's wrong, no big deal. We go back to the agile design cycle. We fix it. We test it. We make sure it's good, and we move on. So it means that we're doing that, but it also means that we're bringing together everybody at the beginning because we need the people who know the customers the best. We need the developers because they're going to be writing the architecture for the API or the API overall design. But we need the tech writers because they understand how to explain the API. They understand the API looks like back and forth. Chances are, if you have a large development team, this person worked on this resource and this person worked on this resource, it's really your technical writers actually understand what the whole API as a whole looks like. And then you're bringing in support because they work with the customers. They know where the customers have issues. And they can make suggestions. And of course, you're bringing in your customers. So the way it really looks is you have your design cycle here, and then you have your development. We're saying, look, we're going to keep going forward. We're going to keep design or developing the code unless we find an issue with the design, and then we'll go back to this phase. So what does this phase look like? It's kind of fun, just because it's a fun image. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to design your API. You're going to say, what should the API look like? Now, the great thing about this is no matter where your API is, you can start using spec-driven development. If you have an API built out, you can start designing things and adding additions to it. You don't have to start over with a brand new API. You can pick it up wherever you're at. Once you design the API, we're going to mock the API. 
The great thing about mocking the API is you can send to your internal teams and say, guys, does this meet your needs? But we can send to external developers clear across the globe and say, try this out. Does this work for you? And they give you feedback. Again, you've not written a single line of code. Once you get that feedback, you can validate. Is this good or not? If it's not good, let's change the design and fix it. If it's great, fantastic onward decoding. So the goal here is that by doing this, we're doing a couple of different things. But what we're really doing is we're finding all the design issues right off the bat, which make your job easy because the API will be consistent, but make developers' jobs easy because now they can actually code without having to figure out, wait, what should this resource look like? Or how should this data work? Or what should the parameter names be? Everything's ready for them to go. And more importantly, because again, you have this, these tiered uh, groups here, everyone knows what's going into the API design. And everybody knows that the API has been tested, not only to be usable, but to be readable. Uh, this is a big thing because if you design API, it doesn't matter how good the code is. It doesn't matter how much thought went into it. If nobody uses your API, it's not going to last very long before the company says it. It's not going to work. Ironically, the same thing is true with documentation, by the way. Worked at a company where our documentation fell in sync with our API. And they looked and they said, we need to build a new API. Well, can we just update the documentation? Again, the business decisions that come with it. So with spec-driven development, what it recommends or what requires is that you use a common spec for designing or defining your API. Some of the specs out there today, there's RAML, which stands for the RESTful API Modeling Language. There's uh, Mastery's IO Docs. Uh, there's Swagger. And then there's API Blueprint. Myself, I'm a fan of RAML. And I'll tell you why in just a second. But the thing I'll point out this is this is not a use RAML talk. Personally, I like Grammar the best. I would recommend taking a, a serious look at it. But each spec has pros and cons. Uh, my shameless plug is if you go to mikestow.com, you can look at the different specs side by side and say, this one meets my needs, this one doesn't meet my needs, uh, and see which one explicitly you want to use. Although, you all want to use RAML. Just, just throwing it out there. Because with RAML, you can define your API in just a few lines of code. I say code, but it's actually plain text. And I'll show you guys RAML in just a second. You can see what your API will look like as you go. No longer is it writing documentation saying, does this match the API? You're actually seeing what the API looks like. You're seeing the response codes. You're seeing the responses. You're seeing the headers. You can easily prototype it for developers to try out. Not just say, here's what it looks like, but actually let them try making real calls to your API with example data. You can quickly make tweaks or changes because it's plain text. It's as simple as changing uh, text in a notebook. Uh, you can easily document your API. Just out of curiosity, what's the average time you guys spend writing documentation for APIs? Is, it's our job. Well, the problem for us is that we're not coders, and mm -hmm. getting the code samples is actually the hardest thing. If you're lucky the developer gives it to you, or you search through the code, and I'm, that kind of looks like what I think I need, but mm -hmm. you don't really understand the, the code samples. Yep. Let's just be honest. Developers don't give away code samples either. We're horrible at that. We're like, here's the API, you should understand it. But, but you're right, it's one of the difficult challenges we have is understanding the API. This lets you actually understand the API and can actually help generate a lot of the documentation for you. So you can write the documentation that helps the user instead of having to focus on what query parameters are in there or what's the response data look like. You can let developers try your API online. If a developer's looking and says, do I want to use your API or somebody else's API, you can actually let them start making calls against your API online right off the bat. Even better, you can let them make calls against your API and other APIs just using basic JavaScript with no coding necessary outside of that. And you can create SDKs, client libraries, um, or code wrappers, and substantial other tools all for your API, all with a click of a mouse.
Big thing with RAML, you can use design patterns. People are saying the API is inconsistent. This fixes that. There's a template, which means that if uh, John is working on one part of the API and he uh, decides to take a vacation, Lisa takes over his project for him, and she's not seen the first part of this, she doesn't have to know what his design patterns was because they're already defined. All she has to do is include the resource type or the trait, and it's done. Uh, so you get to reuse code, which also means the amount of work required to do this is substantially less. Uh, and in this case, you can see we have a resource type, which is a collection, and you can put placeholders to say, this is the data I want in that resource type. We have the uh, API designer. So as you actually define your API, if we look at this, you can see right off the bat, my GitHub API, you can see I have a followers, which has post and put, or post and get, excuse me. You can see actually every single method, every single resource I've created. And if we drill down in that, which I'll show you later, you can actually see what's in those and what it looks like. You can also see what RAML itself looks like. RAML is very, very complex language. For example, if I want to create a resource called playlists, how would I do that? I just do backslash playlists. Now let's say I want to get really complex and I want to add the get method to that resource. I literally type get. If I want to add responses, well, responses. I want to add 200 code, 200. If I want to add body, there it is. What if I want to add headers? What do you think the property for headers is? Headers. headers. So it's designed to be very common sense and take advantage of the YAML format so anybody can read or write it. This means as a developer, I can start putting this together. And if you want to add a description to it, you go right in this and add a description. There's no, I have to transform this from JSON to this, or I have to transform the code, or I have to export from the comments. It's all just there. The important thing to remember with this, in order to make it truly effective, is that your spec is not just a one and done. Uh, what makes spectrum development different than waterfall too is that the spec is a living breathing document every time you make a change to your api you're making the change in the spec first which means their spec is a source of truth with waterfall we create this huge document we write it out we hope it works and we throw the document away we're not throwing this away this will stay there and every time we make a change we have the chance to user test it now why is user testing so important i'm gonna pick on facebook again by the way i love the facebook uh, api use it all the time but there are some inconsistencies. For example, on run resource, if you need to do a search using OData, if you search for a location, you have to search one way. If you search for age, you have to search a different way. If you search for age and location, it's completely different than either one of those ways. Now, a lot of developers are going, this doesn't make sense. Had they tested right off the bat, they could have found that versus getting production. And again, you should never have code that does anything that's not defined by your spec. This is the other nice thing about this is, I'm going to pick on developers because it's fun. As developers, it's very easy for us to change code. We can say, we're typing the code, well, I don't like this, I'm going to change it. Well, that's great, except for a lot of changes we make are we call short-term thinking changes. We're changing it for something we're thinking of at this immediate moment. We're not thinking long-term, which Roy Fielding says people are usually generally awful at thinking long-term. Even better, I make this change without realizing it affects 10 different things. I pass the API over to you. All of a sudden, things are completely different, and nobody knows why. Here, the spec dictates what gets changed in the code. It takes away that flexibility and says, look, you can only change the code to match the spec and not go off and create your own things. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. You're thinking, this is great. This is wonderful. What's it have to do with us? Because we're not writing the code. Fair point. Because the spec is a source of truth, you can use it for other things like documentation, interactive tools, SDK generation, support, and more. So not only do we have the spec that can be used on the developer side, but it provides tools to you guys to make your jobs easier. And I know the number one concern, wait a second, does this actually replace technical writers? 
absolutely not. I had to start with the absolutely, see if I get myself in trouble first. Uh, because you guys know how to explain things. Most engineers know how to write code. They don't know how to explain it. You guys understand the technical aspect, but you're able to explain in a way that the most advanced person in the world will get it, but somebody who's brand new to the API will also understand it. But what it does do is it replaces the rework. The engineers write the code. That's stored somewhere. And then you have to redo all that work again. It reduces that rework. How do you enforce that? Meaning telling them the engineers to only write code as described in the spec. So the way that uh, we've done it is we actually set them down and say, here are the advantages for you as developers to see what the advantages of RAML are. And when they see those advantages, most of them jump on board right away because they don't want the same issue. What they have is they do this, that change gets out there, and it's a pain for them because now they have to find out how to support that uh, incompatible thing for the next six months to a year to two years which basically destroys all the work they're doing. And it becomes a hiccup for them. So what you're able to do is say, look, you can design this. You can test it. You get all these goodness tools. Plus, no developer likes running unit tests. I know my first, uh, or my last coin job, actually, the first two weeks I spent just running pure unit tests. I absolutely hate them. I will not write them unless I have to. Please don't tell my developer friends I said that. Uh, with Ramble, you can actually generate the unit tests for that and take advantage of other unit systems. So you're giving a whole bunch of tools to make their jobs easier as well. Yes? So mm -hmm. they would rather have code instead that they have to keep debugging and doing all this stuff because it's act it actually shows work that they've been done. But you can't have all these developers saying, well, we would try to do this, but you know, hey, we're waiting for the spec. And so how do you deal with the that deliverable? The so the question is, how do you do it with deliverables if you say, look, we have a spec, but you're actually writing code? Because the code or the spec is actually part of the design process and part of the coding. So it becomes a deliverable itself. What we recommend is treating the spec and treating API design like security. You know, for developers, when we start introducing security aspects in different companies, they're like the same thing. We're like, well, okay, why not just secure it after the fact? Well, because the average breach costs $5 million. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess we can invest, you know, a couple weeks in doing security to make sure it's shored up. Same thing with API design. You can do the design, and it's going to add about two weeks of the cycle to get that done. Or, and then that's for your overall design. That's not for quick changes. Quick changes is usually a couple days just to communicate with the uh, users. So you can do it that way, or you can have an API that you now have to try to maintain with all these backward changes and all these incompatibilities for the next six months to a year. But on top of that, you've greatly shortened the life of your API. So by taking two weeks at the very beginning, you're ensuring this API can go two, three, four years, which in the API space is ridiculous. Uh, but that's what we're supposed to be designing APIs for is for that long time, versus making it a year and going, crap, we have to rebuild it from scratch, which is going to cost you a lot more than two weeks of going back and forth with customers. The other advantage is marketing, because you've got your customers involved. So when you release the API, they're already talking to people about it. They're already saying how great it is, and you know it meets their needs. Um, I wish I had to tell a story. It's one of the worst stories I can, I can share. But I contracted on API where we spent six months building the API. And the code was perfect, I know, because I wrote it. I, I don't, people always laugh at that. I'm not really sure why. <laughs> Must have seen my code. Um, but we released this API to the public. And three weeks later, we realized we had a problem. Nobody was using it. The code was great. Uh, you know, I literally wrote the book on best practices for APIs. The best practices were there. That wasn't the issue. It wasn't designed for our users. It didn't meet their needs. 
And sure enough, after another two months of trying to save this, it got thrown away. That's nine months of wasted money for a company versus two weeks to say, this absolutely meets our needs, this absolutely meets our objectives, and we have people who are ready to use it right out the door. So those are some of the advantages saying this is why we should do it right off the bat. Because you get the deliverable of here's a spec, we still have things that we're going to hit, we still have milestones, but you also have all the risks mitigated right off the bat. So that's why we recommend it. So again, it eliminates the rework from you having to say, okay, where are these query parameters and, and chasing them developers and say, okay, what's this work? Because you know what's going on with the API, you know what the API looks like, and it lets you do even more. So I know what you're thinking, you're like, this sounds really boring, but I want to be polite for the speaker, so what's next? Let's actually try writing some RAML and seeing what we can do with this. And then if you guys look at me and say, wow, he's nuts, now this makes sense, I will completely shut up, I promise. DJ's like, really, you're not going to shut up yet? Just oh, I've, 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 this, this, may, this may make my life less stressful, and that's always oh, wonderful. So what we have here is we have a RAML file. Can everybody see the text? Yes. And so with RAML, we have uh, four things that are required to make it Right off the bat, we have, it has to be, start off with RAML and tell us what version it's using. Uh, we're using 0.8 because 1.0 is not out yet. It'll come out next month. Uh, a title for your API, a version for your API, and then you need a base URI because it's really hard to make calls to an API that doesn't have a URL. So I'll throw that out there. Now, I wish I had this great presentation all planned out, but to be honest, I was kind of lazy. So I'm going to make you guys design this API for me. So what type of API should we build? Let's see, we're at IHOP, so maybe we want to do an orders API. So if I want to add an orders resource, again, it's as simple as typing backslash orders. There's my resource. And of course, you can't have a resource without a description. So by putting the pipe there, there, what that tells YAML is that this is going to be a block of text. Anything that's indented, just treat as a block of text. So we can say, this is my awesome API, lots of text. And you'll notice right off the bat, there it is, but it all supports Markdown. So the awesome is indented. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, but now we want to add some methods to it. So maybe I want to find out what orders are out there. I can add git in just by typing in git. Of course, we need another description. This is a short description, so it's just the same line. Let's see. Should we have query parameters for this order? Sure. All right. Query parameters. What types of things would you want to search all your orders by? Vegetarian. Okay, vegetarian. Drinks. I can't type. Vegetarian. Actually, I can type. I just can't spell it. Vegetarian. Those are really strict vegetarians. Very, yes. yes. Example true, required. We're going to say false. So they don't always have to search by this, but if they want to, they can. And we'll say type. It's doable. Kids menu. Kids menu. Sample. Uh, carrots. <laughs> carrots. <laughs> Required. Absolutely true. Type string. Dog friendly. You guys are just running with this one. Example. Okay, so we have several different query parameters in there. This is awesome. But what's this actually look like? And I'll swing over here a little bit so you guys can see. As you notice, by the way, that it has the git method already there. If I click on this, this is my description. Here are all my query parameters. Here are my examples. 
That's kind of fun, but I have no responses. So let's add a response. And what type of responses should we have for a get? Like what status codes? 200, okay. okay that's my pun of the day, 200, okay, no. I don't, I don't tell good jokes, I'll throw it out there. And what type of data should we turn? Should we turn JSON, XML? XML, all right. Now I can pull this in with a schema or I can do an example. Um, this is one of the things that makes Ramble unique over uh, Swagger. Swagger, you have to have schemas. With this, I can just create an example here. That's pretty easy. But somebody said, you know what, I want JSON too. And the nice about REST is you can support multiple content types with it. So let's just throw JSON in there as well. Example. Now, if I click on this again, you'll notice I have a tour response, and I can see exactly what these responses look like. I can add in headers, I can add other information, uh, and I can keep going. I can say I want to add in a 500 body application JSON example. I'm going to do the honest message for a 500 error. I'm a developer. I'm just being honest here. You will soon be trending. Yes. <laughs> and just like that, now this response is there. And we add these additional responses, they show up. But this is great, but maybe we have this 500 response in every single one of our resources. That's a lot of typing for that. So we can actually just grab this guy here, and we can do something called a resource type. So remember I said we had code reuse? Responses. One, too many tabs. Tap this over one more time. By the way, this is why you should never do live demos because you never know if it's going to work. And let's see, we'll say orders, type, collection. Actually, let me delete this really quick. So you notice in the orders, since I took it out, it's no longer there. But if I say orders, type, collection, It now pulls in those responses for that collection. This looks it, it really is. It's it's pretty sweet. Now let's say we want to add additional methods because maybe our methods overall are the same. So we're gonna do post, and I'll just do that to be there. You notice again, post gets called in right away. This is fantastic because let's set the structure, but maybe I don't want post to be in there every time. That's as simple as adding a question mark. Now it's gone until I call it back in, in which case it would pull in those properties from the resource type that I've declared. So it also lets me do optional methods within this. So I can create these templates, reuse these templates again and again and again, and not have to worry about being forced to use things I don't want to use. So again, this is all fantastic. This is great. We have this API. We can do that. We can be logged out. But this doesn't take care of all the documentation for our API because there are things we need like OAuth, for example, and doing this. So this gives us a great overview of the API. We put our markdown there. What about our more extensive documentation? One of the really nice things about RAML is it supports something called documentation. Whoops. 
And you'll now notice that as soon as I do that, it adds these sections for documentation. Now, Rainbow gives you a couple different flexibility options. You can do this and say, I want this to be created and keep it as separate pages. Or, with your, depending on your parser, you can actually pull this in to the pages. So I could say, uh, title. Yes, tell must be a string. I'm trying to call my orders. So I can actually pull it in that way, where now I can use my parser and say, this is the, all the documentation for the orders get method or the orders method. So what it does is it allows you to create generalized documentation that you can use across the board, or form in a way that you can use a script to pull it in where you want it to be. So again, you get all that extensive documentation that you can just write with uh, Markdown. Which is great, except for there's probably a lot of documentation. This seems like a really small space to write documentation, right? So if only we could take this documentation, store it somewhere else. Let's call this doc.raml. And then pull it in somehow. Using an include. So we're able to pull in the documentation dynamically as well. So it's giving us the option where we can put these things in different files, we can sort this, we can reuse code. And this is all great and dandy, except for how do we know this meets our users' needs? How do we know that this is going to be our mobile app needs? How do we know that this is actually going to work? Well, if you're using the free MuleSoft service, by the way, everything I'm showing you is open source. You can actually download this and run it on your own, or you can use MuleSoft's free hosted version here. Simply by clicking on the mocking service, you'll see we get a new URL here. Delete that because I don't want that on there. I can grab this. We'll just go to a new window. No, I can't do it. Why? Because I got an error. My error is that the kids menu is required. Kids menu equals carrots. Oops. It, yeah, it is like, no, kids shouldn't have to eat carrots. And just like that, I'm getting back the example data I put in there. So I can use Postman, I can do a JSON request, I can do it this way. So now we have the documentation, we have this aspect. That's nice, but now we have this RAML file, what can we do with it outside of, again, this is all kind of for the developers. So if we jump back, here are just some of the tools out there. The first is the developer portal. This is a free tool offered by MuleSoft, uh, which you can use if you want to. Um, I'll leave it at that. Uh, but what it does have is it has something called the API reference. And the API reference lets you look at all these, and all the information we have available to the, in, the, in the designer is now available to our users, where we can see what the examples would be, we can see what the responses look like. But even better, we can actually try making API calls against the API. So maybe I am trying to use the API and something's not working, or I'm not sure what type of data I'm supposed to put in. You can walk them through the steps of how to use that. Uh, there's also other tools out there, such as uh, RAML to HTML, so if you want to create a nice little include for your script, you just want to be a static HTML page with all the resources, uh, that provides that as well. This is my favorite one because I wrote it. Uh, not that I'm biased. Uh, but this generates documentation for your site off of the RAML. So in this case, I'm using the Twitter API. If I click on statuses, it says here's my available endpoints. Click on that. I can do a git. Now, here's the fun thing. Remember all the information we have to rewrite and recreate? We have to have the description we have to put in there. We have to have the query parameters, code samples. Code samples are a pain. Here I have the query parameters automatically being pulled in. I have the code samples automatically being generated for me. So I don't even have to write any of this information. This is just here for me. 
uh, the responses I'd have, being able to add comments. And the great thing is, this is templatable. You can make this look exactly like your site and use your CSS and your design, and it's really changing three files. The config file that says, here's where the RAML file is, and then your header and footer. And it's just like your site. Uh, so this tool is just called RAML to HTML for PHP. So it's a PHP script, uh, but it's, it's open source. It's available on ramble.org/projects. But this also doesn't do a lot for walking users through how to use your API or support. And let's be honest, that's one of the biggest challenges. Is somebody says, "I want to know how to access Twitter's API and find out my very last followers because I'm very vain." So how do I do that? There's something called the API Notebook. And with the API Notebook, if I click on examples here you actually have the ability to walk through people how to do different things with your API. And you notice, again, it's a very plain text format. Here I'm creating a client called the Twitter REST API. I'm going to authenticate. So let's click up to here really quick. And what it's doing is it's actually grabbing that RAML file. So there's no code that I had to write. There's nothing behind the scenes except for this right here, which is all explained in Markdown. And it's saying, hey, look, in order to use the Twitter API, you have to authenticate first which means I have to use OAuth 1, which is the biggest pain in the world, pain to code. Thankfully, this script does it all for me. Authorize app. Now, as a developer, I get back the responses from the API. So I can debug it. I can see how it works. You can see my OAuth token, my OAuth secret. Please do not steal those. But now I can also explore the API. So anything to do with the Twitter API, it walks me through. IDs.json.get. And I can actually make a call on that, and it will get back that response. Uh, of course, in this case, it's saying, look, we're going to find your last followers. So I think it's literally exactly what I did. Oh, no, followers.ids.json.get. Uh, and then I can use just basic JavaScript to say, hey, well, I'll get my most recent follower ID. We'll click on that. Most recent follower ID is right here. Again, you can see. Uh, all the results in there when making the API call. And then if I want to get the screen name, again, just using very basic JavaScript. Marta, thank you. My last follower. Not that I'm vain at all, by the way. By the way, if you have not followed Mike G. Stowe on Twitter, I'm not saying you have to, but you should. I just tweeted about him. Just, yeah, if, yeah, if you didn't tweet about yeah. Uh, SDK generation, uh, there's tons of services out there that do that for you. One's called API-Matic. So rather than having your developers, again, they say, OK, now we have this API. Now we have to create libraries in PHP and Java and .NET and Go. And chances are you don't have all those developers on staff. This automatically generates SDKs for the Windows phone and Windows uh, desktop, for iOS, for Android, for Java, for PHP, for Python, for Angular.js, for Ruby, uh, for Node.js, and then also for Go. Uh, this one's called uh, API-matic.io. And it can do all that just from processing the RAML spec file? Yep, just from the RAML spec file. It gets the information because it knows all the resources. automatically generates all the SDK aspects for it. Um, so again, another tool you get with that. Ready, set, go. Yes. So API Matic gives you uh, three SDKs for free, oh, okay. and then after that they do charge. Oh. But you can actually generate your three most popular SDKs, or for, even for internal purposes, if you're developing an iOS app and an Android app, you get those SDKs. So this is all really cool, right? The enthusiasm in the room is just astounding. <laughs> and I'm getting paged online, which is even better. I'm just waiting for them to say something crazy. 
So how about some real-world examples of people actually using RAML? Because I'm talking about this great story, but who's actually using RAML in the real world and what's it actually look like? So for that, I'm going to go to start with GroupI. GroupI actually uses RAML, uh, but they created their nice little developer uh, system. And they said, if you want to do interactive docs, click this link. You can do this. It's as easy as uh, just doing an include. I think Tom has a tutorial on his uh, site about how to uh, pull this in. But here you have the interactive documentation just through a link. Not really impressive, but maybe you're using a system like uh, Atlassian's Wiki, and maybe your PBS, you're like, hey, we want to expose our API. You can do that using RAML as well, and they do exactly the same thing. Uh, if you want to get fancy, you can follow uh, the New Zealand Post and use MuleSoft's AnyPoint platform API portal solution. Uh, as you can see, you know, you're able to use Markdown and create your own documentation pages uh, or pull it in from the RAML as well. And they have that information on there. Uh, you can do things like this is actually my API, and the script probably looks very familiar. It's like, hey, actually, I also use my uh, post. So if I grab uh, LDAP, you'll notice using Markdown and using Collins, I can say, hey, look, I have issues with this. So I still get to include images. I still get to include alerts. And you can style those with whatever CSS you want. And as you can see, in this case, I actually have them separated with multiple text. So I can actually format it in the way that I want as well. Still not super impressive. I know what you guys are thinking. You're like, wow, this was this great talk. And then we got his stuff. That's OK. Uh, ePages does a nice job. This is all generated from RAML. So this is all their documentation. I can click into this. And it'll actually show me all the information. Again, this is completely generated from RAML from that. And here are your code examples as well, which again, automatically generates. We don't have to do that ourselves. Uh, so that's their site. But my favorite one, by far, is this site called Spotify. And if you go to Spotify, Spotify has this, uh, their nice documentation pages right here. Again, all generated from RAML. But on top of that, if I click on trying the Web API console, I can now make interactive calls to their system through their console that was generated with RAML as well. Uh, and they get really fancy with theirs, uh, which it's actually really cool. Let me see if I can find their, uh, let's see, create. They actually even have like JSON validation in there, is where you can see invalid JSON and then it fixes. So they can do some really cool things with that. But again, this is all supported by RAML as well, where all the calls are going against that spec. So not only are you able to create the code examples and create the documentation, but you're able to create interactive environments all from the same spec without having to do any rework. Anytime something changes, the interactive docs are updated, the documentation's updated, you can update the SDKs with a single click, everything just falls into piece. Falls into place, excuse me. Uh, in fact, from a tech writer saying, look, I had to use RAML. Uh, this is my favorite uh, quote at the very end. It's really, really challenging to cope with so much new stuff. But I can totally recommend this as a way of working to every tech writer. This person came in and they're saying, look, I got swamped with all this new stuff. RAML was just one of the small pieces of this whole system that ePages was using. Um, but you know, the, the quote that they leave that with, I'll just pull that up really quick, is one of my favorite quotes. which is I have way too many emails. But I've never come across this in my previous tech writer life, but notice very soon the our in-house documentation tool compared with simple editing markdown and RAML files enriches my knowledge of the API and makes my work uh, far easier. And that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to make it far easier, give you guys more tools to do this uh, with a spec that's open source and, and backed by numerous different companies. Uh, this, you know, one of the things people like to say is, well, who is behind the spec. You know, is this a MuleSoft thing or who is it? MuleSoft started the spec. We're part of the working group. 
but there's this very small company called Cisco that also backs the spec. There's uh, this company called Intuit that backs the spec, or PayPal. Uh, there's the guy from Angular.js who is on the working group. Uh, Akana Software, Akana Software, which is a direct competitor of ours, is in the working group. Uh, you know, I'll pick on Oracle. Oracle actually supports RAM with their ESB, you know, despite being a direct competitor in that front. It's a lot of companies coming together saying, look, we believe there's enough space for everybody to work together, and, and more importantly, this spec makes things move forward. And so I think that's why everybody's you know, trying to get behind it. Um, and, and so I, I would honestly say, don't just ask my opinion. Um, you know, she's worked with uh, Ramble quite a bit. Ask her opinion as well. But again, find the spec that works best for you, which very honestly, I'd take a look at Ramble and take a hard look at Ramble just because I think it's the best spec on the market. Uh, with that said, uh, I'll take time for questions here. I would also do another shameless plug, and that is if you want to learn more about RAML, you want to learn more about these tools, uh, there's this amazing book written by this Mike Stowe guy, uh, who I've heard is kind of a jerk, but uh, you can download the full book for free at mulesoft.com slash restbook. Uh, if you're like, hey, this is a great book, I feel really generous, I want to buy it, you can buy it on Amazon.com. My recommendation, though, is you email this Mike.Stowe at MuleSoft.com guy and say, hey, send me a copy and I'll send you a free copy. Um, but otherwise, you can download it at MuleSoft.com slash Uh With that, are there any questions? Where's our coffee mug? The coffee mug. <laughs> I, so my department doesn't get the coffee mug. We have the little squishy mules, oh. and I was going to bring books, I was going to bring the mules and stickers, and I forgot everything at the office. Oh. And, and I live in Union City, so I was going to drive back to San Francisco. Oh. <laughs> what is your email address? Uh, my email address is just Mike.Stowe at MuleSoft.com. Uh, I might have some business cards. Dreamforce absolutely killed me. Um, yes. I did not. Um, it was actually kind of disappointing because people would walk up and they'd be like, "Hey, I'm so and so." I'm like, "Hey, I'm Mike Stowe," and they're like, "Are oh, you thinking about the API book?" I'm like, "Yeah." They're like, "Okay," and they walk off. Um, the nature of celebrity. The yeah, nature of celebrity is like you know, they're, just, they're like, "No, it's whatever." Um, I gotta be careful what I say here. <laughs> yes. So, any questions related to APIs or Ramble? <laughs> Is there any way to put a search in, in one of those outputs? Mm -hmm. So, uh, with that, one of the things you can do that I didn't show is something called traits. And traits allows you to create uh, reusable code for your methods. Uh, so, for example, it's searchable, it's pageable, it's filterable. Um, no, I mean, like, if, I, if a user wanted to search, Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I was talking about like, putting resource in the, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's no reason you couldn't do that because you just basically have a, a single source. You have to tie it in with uh, your system, uh, although I think I might add that now that you said that to that script. Um, and basically what it would do is the script runs off of the uh, URI or the path. So it would say, okay, if you're on this path, generate this content. It would be the same thing. You just search the RAML file, find that path, and then send it to that path. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, everything's in a single source. So it's, it's basically the same as searching uh, a flat file. Um, and very similar searching like a database. So very doable. Any other questions? You guys are making Tom do all the work today. I actually read through this book, and just to, to give him a shout out on that, it's a, it's a really well written book, and it's, it's easy to follow. I highly recommend it. We have a picture of you holding the book. Yeah. It's exactly what we're looking for. He's a professional. Well, that's it was wonderful. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. Yep. 
Um, but again, you know, one, one of the reasons I wrote the book, to be very transparent, is not to be a millionaire because we could wait her free, which was a horrible marketing plan um, for making money. Uh, but the reason I wrote it was because I've run across so many APIs that you know, there were challenges with, and I, and I feel like there's a lot of information about APIs that always isn't uh, put in a, in a simple format or in a single source. And so the book is really to cover here are the best practices, but not just for developers, but overall, how can you make an API that's usable? Because I think that's the key to designing a long-last API is one that's thought out for long-term, but is also usable and well-documented. All right, with that, I think that's all I got then. Uh, if there's other questions, uh, feel free to grab me afterwards or send me an email uh, or uh, ask me on Twitter, link Wayne Kenton. I keep trying, nobody ever does. Like, I lose followers every day, it makes me sad. Uh, so thank you. Thank you.